0: The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So take a moment, adjust the body so you're comfortable. Nice to be back. Maybe I'll give the folks online a quick view of the in-person community here. So you might have seen the emails that we, we're just encouraging uh, our local community to explore their willingness to re-inhabit the space, see what that might feel like. So it's really nice to have more people here for this time. Yeah, and I thought today I would talk about the connection between the experience of safety, like do we feel safe in a room together, and, uh, and just generally our relationship to safety, and as a human being, have we learned how to use safety as a necessary, really unavoidable medicine? Like we have to, in any ways, you know, any number of ways that we can access some sense of safety, we need to use that because the mind naturally opens, the mind is more naturally interested when we feel safe, and the mind naturally closes and becomes defensive when we feel unsafe. And the whole spiritual process, and probably we could say just the whole of being a functional, useful human being depends on that capacity to connect and observe, to be sensitive, to be interested. So if we're always in a state of fear, if we're always closing down, tightening up, it really restricts our ability to walk the spiritual path and to be just a decent human being. And probably, you know, it's not the only way to be an unskillful or even a really harmful human being, but clearly we've, all of us in our own little ways, big ways, we've experienced that when we're really afraid, when we're really shut down, we could do despicable things. Say things that we wouldn't otherwise say. And the And then the other extreme, like those times when we do feel really loved and safe and like we belong, it's so easy to be generous and kind and sensitive to what's going on around us. It's not like hard work when we're feeling loved and like we belong and, yeah. So then it makes a lot of sense because, you know, we're, whether we know it or not, we're constructing states of insecurity insecurity just doesn't fall down upon us from up there, you know, or rise up from below. The mind is participating. So when we're in a really extreme state of insecurity, of fear, the mind is involved in that subjective experience of fear. And when we're in a more open state, feeling a lot of trust and safety and a willingness to relax. The mind is involved in that. It's part of the construction of that those states of fear and non-fear. And in, in our more simplistic moments, it really disempowers us, but our tendency in our more distracted, habit-bound moments is to project that the cause of my Safety or security or insecurity and danger is external. That I'm just a victim of my conditions or circumstances and there's really nothing for me to do. And now clearly external circumstances have a role to play as does our internal understanding. And the Buddha talks about you know you could understand the Eightfold Path some of you know the Buddha divides up the path in eight steps, or you can think of it in three steps. It's a little simpler to remember. And the three steps, of course, include the eight steps. But you can think of these three ways of, these three aspects of the spiritual path in terms of safety. So the first is this capacity we have to train ourselves to harmonize by valuing non-harming. So this is that moral sensitivity, sila, is the Pali word, this integrity around the value of non-harming, this caring and interest about non-harming, harmonizing, how can I live as if everybody belongs, everybody matters, as opposed to like, I just got to take care of myself, it's up to you to take care of yourself, as if, we live in disconnected ways. And so, Sila, the small sensitivity, it never ends. It's never like, okay, I'm good enough. It's, a, it's an impossible puzzle. But that willingness to be sensitive to our mutuality, right, is it's actually in the direction of safety. Thinking that I get to be a part that what's happening around me doesn't matter what's happening to you or you or them doesn't matter actually makes us insecure and you can just check that out like in those places where your mind has created a clear boundary these people are on the outside these people are on the inside we get insecure because we've got to defend that the arbitrariness of that boundary and we're insecure about all the ways that that boundary doesn't make sense. So we have to, we choose to be unconscious, which is indefensible and stressful. Because if we were more awake, we would say, we would see and feel that those boundaries don't make sense in the way the mind's constructed them. So one way to just start looking in our lives, like to get interested in safety, as a kind of spiritual, really a medicine on all levels, just for our well-being on all levels. We need to be better at accessing a sense of inner safety. And one of the most direct and immediate ways to sense safety is to put energy into harmonizing with our communities, with those around us. I mean just a silly simple example I mean it's not really silly but you know you go home and you see have a couple quality moments with your cat or dog or a lizard or whatever it is for you you know or your neighbor's kid or your partner or whatever and you harmonize with another living being and what is the actual pragmatic effect on our mind when we do that, when we take a few minutes to have a silly conversation about the weather with our neighbor. As though we don't really care that much about the weather, it's just a way of expressing to each other we care about each other, right? And we feel a little better. We feel that sense of belonging, that sense of safety, just in that simple way or we take care of something. I was walking here this morning, one of the big orange cones, because they've are they been drilling, I don't know what it is, if it's a cable company or whatever it is, they're digging into the street and they make these kind of big potholes and they put a little orange cor- cor- cone so you don't ruin your suspension driving over it. And one had fallen over, so you know I just picked it up. It was just that little way of harmonizing with the community that lives here, like you know, I can do this. I can walk 20 feet out of my way, bend over, pick this cone up, and it's just so easy to see the other impulses in the mind. Well, that trash is somebody else's responsibility, or you know, that's not my job. I don't want to touch things. <laughs> you know, we have this fear that was that's still reverberating from the COVID times about exposure in all the little and big ways, like picking up trash. And, uh, and it's totally within our rights to live with fear, to cultivate fear. We cultivate fear by noticing and highlighting things we could be afraid of. And that's good medicine too. Like it's a useful skill to have that discriminating wisdom that senses danger, right? We don't want to lose that. It's just a matter of balance. Are we, is our mind, our sensitivity, just as attuned to ways of harmonizing with the environment, relaxing and uh, attuning and responding in a way that arises from being connected, from being open, from caring about what's going on around us. And, you know, we could say, well, you know, it's the world I live in isn't safe. But but it might actually, there may be ways to balance these two sensitivities about real danger and ways to harmonize, ways to care, ways to belong. And that's really the work, the spiritual work of Sila, this moral sensitivity, because being morally sensitive, not wanting to harm, also includes ourselves, so we wouldn't, you know, strangely, weirdly expose ourselves because we're attuning to the wider needs, why would we neglect our own need for safety, right, it's a a kind of generic caring, which involves us, right, we... We're not outside of that radiance of care, or wanting to harmonize. So we also want to harmonize with our own natural desire to survive and not be harmed, not, not be hurt. So that, that helps us with this trap that we some, sometimes wrongly think that it's an either-or. You know, either I care about the community or I'm going to care about myself. And we might just wanna see if that's actually, if that division is actually needed. Sometimes we care about what's here and you know, right here, me, this body, this mind. Sometimes we care about what's really close. Sometimes we care about the whole of our planet. And maybe the heart can find its way without that having to be a cognitive decision even like let's just see how this plays out, oh look at this, right now I'm tucking myself into bed, or right now, you know, I'm contributing to the wider community. Maybe it isn't something to figure out, it's an aspiration or a wholesome intention that we cultivate because it feels right, that wanting to harmonize, that deep and i mean if we cultivate it it becomes a very deep powerful desire to not contribute to harm in any little or big way for ourselves or others there's enough suffering so i don't want to contribute to more do i know how to do that no am i okay i have to be okay knowing that i don't know how to do that that's what i mean like we work on the level of that intention the purity of that intention because it it actually strengthens the humility so then the way forward is just to be intimate to be connected to be attuned to this moment and in some moments that attunement will lead to us responding to our own needs and in other moments that attunement will lead to us responding to other people's needs globally locally, personally. The other way we can cultivate safety is like, is our mind itself, the quality, qualities of my mind, the qualities of my heart, is it safe to be home? <laughs> you know, to be like in this environment of my own mind and heart. The mood, the qualities of this mind and heart. Can I how might I cultivate a mind and heart that is really trustworthy? Just like in that first level of training, it's like, how do I cultivate relationships with it all, all my communities, all my relations? How do I cultivate relationships, a way of relating that leaves that sense of safety? Because I value harmonizing. Now, within this sort of more local environment of my own mind and heart, how can I cultivate a mind and heart I'm really happy to be in the middle of, to be, to be with? And even if you don't have a clue, you didn't bump into somebody's teachings like the Buddhist teachings, even through trial and error, we would learn, oh, this cultivates of mind that scares the hell out of me. <laughs> so then I am i don't want to be home. So I am become dependent on media or I become dependent on this or that to dull me so I don't really need to be home with this mind because it scares me or I don't like it or it's too dark or it's too this or it's too that. Well, how can we, what kind of mind have we bumped in? Like when we do the the chant and the practice we did at the beginning, where we're, oh yeah, this heart is capable of goodness. When we feel that natural friendliness, that natural generosity of the heart, one of the things when we really take the time to notice it, those times when we're just spontaneously good and friendly, just in an ordinary sense, we'll notice like, I really trust this mind. I trust this quality of the heart and mind. I'm not afraid to inhabit, to feel into, to be with this mind, this heart. And so that's called samadhi. And we get better at it when we pay attention. This is a lot of our meditation work. Part of what we're cultivating with these 16 steps that we've been learning the last few months and continue when I'm giving the Sunday morning talks through the rest of the fall. I'm moving through and by the way, in this document that I put in the chat, and uh, let me just do it one more time for anybody who's come lately. And for all of you here in the room, if you just go to the um, calendar event for the Sunday morning program, this Google doc, the link will be right there in the online calendar. And there's some resources where you can learn about these 16 steps and other related talks and and articles that will just help you understand the different pieces, the different uh, unfolding of this whole path. It's really uh, these 16 instructions paint a powerful picture of the whole spiritual path. It's not just about paying attention to the breath. That's really more about the first couple instructions. Then the breath goes in the foreground And it's really about understanding how safety and well-being allows the heart to open more and more, kind of go into new territory, see what it isn't seeing and start to integrate those insights, that seeing what we haven't seen before. What allows us to see what we haven't seen before about our experience and about the nature of the mind One way to answer that question is feeling safe. When we really feel safe, we either indulge in that safety, which is a setup, because generally the safety we're touching into will keep changing, will come and go. So indulging in is isn't helpful, but what is helpful is using the stability of that safety to be interested, to continue the process of waking up. Because then we keep learning, and one of the things we learn is what safety is more dependable than other experiences of safety. Like, there is a certain safety in having a bigger car when you drive on the freeway. But it's a safety that comes with limitations. Like, you need money to buy a bigger car, generally, right? And there are all sorts of other consequences to having bigger cars. And it only really works when your bigger car is bigger than the other bigger cars. (laughs) We did eventually buy a bigger car, Wynne and I, my partner and I. And uh, Wynne is out uh, taking the fall to take care of her mother in New Jersey. And uh, so she drove the bigger car. But on the interstate, driving out to the East Coast, you know, there are a lot of very big cars on the interstate, you know, the big semis, you know. And so so it's just like, okay, we need a semi. (laughs) so that we're not intimidated by the other semis, but we need a semi that's a little bigger and meaner looking, right? And that you see this is how it goes, you know, in different ways. We like things, same with our homes, same with so many different things, things that are indestructible. So part of the whole spiritual process is realizing not not giving up or not... Imagining it doesn't matter these more gross ways of feeling safe, but seeing the limitations and seeing that there's actually a more dependable safety, more reliable, less fragile. And then that we let go because there's something even more, a safety that's even more refined, more dependable, less subject to coming and going. Until we get to this in a sense, this ultimate safety—this is uh, one of the articles I put in the in the collection that you have in that document—is a wonderful article by Christina Feldman, one of our elders in the Western Insight Meditation tradition. The article is "Where Where to Find uh, Joy and How to Cultivate It." It's by Christina Feldman and Jaya Rudgard. And they quote from the Buddha, from the Dhammapada. Abide in happiness free free from hostility amongst those who are hostile. Abide in joyfulness free from distress amongst those who are miserable. Abide in happiness free from agitation and busyness in the midst of those who are busy. Joyfully we live those who cling to nothing. So, this is the joy of renunciation. I've been talking about this the last few weeks. Those who are new, you can go back to the previous talks either on our YouTube channel or on dharmacy.org where we keep all of the audio talks that have been recorded or the YouTube channel where we have the video that's recorded. So, you can always go back. But there's a, we're really moving in the direction of finding happiness and safety not so much from what we have, but from what we've been able to let go of. So this brings us to the second place to find safety, samadhi. In a way, you could say all three of these parts of the, the path, moral sensitivity, we've learned to let go of acting out our grosser reactivity, like to hit, or insult when we're hurt. You know, we realize that doesn't make me feel safe to hit back. I can hit back. I can insult people who have harmed me. But does that actually lead to a stable sense of well-being? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Because a spiritual seeker isn't looking for a quick fix. We're looking for something that resolves the anxiety, the uneasiness in our heart forever. I don't know about you, but I'm interested in that forever peace, right? I've had enough of having a little peace only to have it snatched away when conditions change. You know, oh this is nice. And then a fly lands on the face, you know? Or somebody starts to do something next door that makes a lot of noise or whatever it might be. I was, you know, we've been really doing a lot of work over the last, ever since Common Ground left where Win and I live, the original Common Ground for the first 15 years or so, um, was about seven blocks this way. And Win and I had a tiny little apartment. Win and I owned that building. And then Common Ground formed, and more formally, as a nonprofit and raised some funds and we were able to buy. And, renovate this building moved in about 15 years ago not quite and uh, and so we've been fixing up that building and uh, then just recently the pitter pad of rodents you know one of the things we did we finished off the ceiling in the basement thinking that would be cool but now we can't get you know now the rodents have their own little highway between the floor and the first floor and the ceiling, the drywall ceiling in the basement, and we have no idea how they're getting in because it's all sealed off. And it's like this existential threat because I was relying on my house getting together, feeling safe, feeling, you know, it's an old house, 1908, feeling like, okay, we've solved most of the problems, but do you ever solve all the problems in a place like, no. There's always something. And it's interesting just how existential that threat is. You know, like that sort of panic, I got to figure this out. You know, we can't have mice. And every once in a while we get a really foul smell on the basement because of who knows what's going on. <laughs> you know, I, probably a cat has injured whatever the animal is. It may not be a mouse, it may be a chipmunk, who knows. Um, maybe some of them die in that space and then the smell leaks through, who knows. But we don't like humans, we don't like these mysteries. We want things sealed, you know. That's why we have our perfect lawns and our gated communities and our big SUVs and our, you know, waterproof phones and all these sort of things as if we're going to defend ourselves against change and insecurity. So what the Buddha discovered is there's real freedom, real safety, and non-clinging. So the whole path is this path of the joy, the safety of non-clinging renunciation. So it's more about attuning to the happiness and the safety of what we've let go of. So when I've trained my mind that it doesn't have to act out, The grosser responses, you know, my sort of, the way as an animal we are conditioned to fight back, eye for an eye kind of thing. Like, oh, I feel that, that conditioning is there, but I don't have to act it out. It's not that I can act it out, not that I haven't acted it out. We might be like, really good at acting it out. Maybe you got trained as a, martial artist or something like that, you really would know what to do if, if ever that were the right kind of response. Because it might be. I'm not saying it's never the right response. I'm just saying a lot of the times it's not the right response in the sense of leading to more safety. And it's really nice to have the training, I don't have to act that out. I could, but I don't have to. I could really say something that would hurt this person, but I don't have to. So we're renouncing that grosser level of our conditioning, or habit energy. And we feel the happiness, the safety of harmonizing. Now with samadhi, we're renouncing something more settle, uh, subtle. We're renouncing the habit of distractedness, of being lost in thought. I could think about this right now. I could plan this. I could review for myself what the Buddha said, but I don't have to get lost in that thought or that thought or this pattern or that. I can just be in the bare presence of things as they are, breathing in, breathing out, feeling the whole body, noticing the lightness of heart. Whatever it is we're aware of, it's in that inclusive space of the present moment We're not going down one of those off ramps into one of those habitual ways of thinking about this which leads to the next thought and the next thought. And it could be quite a while before there's even a moment of awareness, oh, I've been lost in thought. When we're lost in thought, we're not aware that we're lost in thought. And that's where we spend most of our time. So the stability of present moment awareness, what we call samadhi, is the happiness and the safety of knowing, in a direct, immediate sense, knowing I could think about that, I could get lost in this way, lost in that way, absorbed in this way or that way, but I'm choosing to keep remembering the present moment, to keep connected with the space in which thoughts, sensations, sounds, and sights are coming and going. And the recognition, this is how it is now, the recognition of the present moment. So it doesn't mean exactly that there aren't thoughts, it means we're not lost in the thought, which means there's an awareness, thoughts are being known. There's some of that present moment awareness that it's like this now, and the continuity of that, the continuity of not being distracted. That's the safety of samadhi. And it's real safety. Because when we have some semblance of samadhi, it's like that is the ultimate vigilance for a human being. And it's not tight. And it's not afraid. Because being tight and afraid requires some thought, some construction that the mind is lost in. Like, I'm in danger. But to be really present, we're really connected. We're really sensitive. We're intimate. So actually, we're in the best place to respond appropriately to whatever comes our way, internally, externally, because we're not distracted. We're not... There's no programmed construction of the mind that is distorting the mind's presence or intimacy. It's just intimacy and the stability of intimacy. That's what samadhi means, non-distractedness, ongoing present moment awareness. And even the thought, I'm being present, is a slight distortion in being present. It's not required to have the idea of a somebody who's being present in order to be present. Because that natural sensitivity to what's coming and going, internally, externally, it's that without the mind taking any of the off rants being diluted or distracted by any of the mental constructions. And it takes some training. And the flavor of samadhi is safety. I mean, that's one way to get to know it. Because when we feel, when we have that samadhi, it's like this is the place the heart belongs because it feels safe. Like this is a place where the heart knows its way, like knows what to do. Not because it has a plan in a conceptual sense, but because it's connected, intimate. Both the breath and also the subtlety depth of connection. Now I won't have time to talk about the third part of the path, so we have sila, this moral sensitivity, which allows us to let go, be free of our grosser level of programming, like to want to hurt back when we're hurt, and this samadhi where we're able to let go of distractedness, where the mind has learned, has trained itself not to be confused by its mental constructions. We can still think, we can still construct ideas and conceptual maps, but the mind has learned to see those those mental constructions as something being known. It's just a thought, an idea being known. So it's not losing that sensitivity, that intimacy with the present moment. And then the third, Wisdom will pick up next... No, I won't be here. Shelley's giving the talk next Sunday. I'll be teaching on the West Coast that the following Sunday, 24th maybe, 25th, something like that. Maybe the 25th. I'll be back. I'll talk about that safety. And you'll see that the 16 steps that we've been learning, and that's one of the articles you can read, it really covers, you can see the whole spiritual path Whatever list or whatever particular set of teachings from the Buddha you're using has just this progressive sensitivity to real safety, to real pleasure, to real happiness, to real peace. So, whatever word you use, this is the way it actually works. And the Buddha just mapped out, articulated his own personal process that then generations of folks before us have heard, have put into practice, and realized, oh yeah, this is a pretty good map. Because even though the Buddha articulated that a long time ago, 2,500 years ago, in a particular culture very different from ours, the map comes out of a depth of experience that it's not really bound by culture so much. So when we start paying attention to our own experience, we realize, oh, my God! This is a good map because it, it really helps me understand my own direct experience and what is onward leading to release and freedom and what's onward leading to hell and difficult states of mind and unskillful ways of behaving in the world. So let's leave it here. We'll just take a moment, let go of the words. Take a breath or two together. At home in the present moment. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening.